Mike's Video Game Podcast. I miss you, Mike. Hello, and welcome to Mike's Video Game Podcast. I'm Mike Geig. And I'm Mike Wu. And uh, you know what? I forgot to look up what episode we're on. Oh, we're on... I do that every time. I think we're like at 21 now. Remember? Yeah, that we sounds were... about right. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I gotta actually look it up. Look, but we, at least now we remember the name of the of the of the website. It's Mike's we're, Video Game Podcast. All is yeah, one word. Mike's Video Game Podcast I I did yeah, mean, mean to uh, mention that, and uh, also the Twitter account, which is Mike's. Uh, um, <laughs> See, this is what happens when we wait two months in between uh, episodes. Uh, it's Mike's. SVGP, or no, it's Mike's VGP. Sorry, <laughs> Mike's video game podcast, Mike's VGP. I'm terrible at this. Oh, man, I say this maybe every other episode, but this is the worst podcast ever. <laughs> Probably the worst podcast ever. <laughs> well, we missed last month's podcast, so it's been two months. We're, we're a bit rusty, um, and uh, I do apologize for that. Hopefully everyone was patient, but as we were just talking kind of before we started here, I've been traveling like insanity. You've been traveling like insanity. Uh, it sounds like your stuff has been kind of more fun than, than work and stuff like that and kind of yes, pretty awesome stuff there. Yeah, yeah definitely of the vacation variety. Where'd you go? I went to Dominica, which is this beautiful volcanic island in the, um, uh, in the not the Bahamas, in the uh, Caribbean. Uh, and uh, as you may remember from our last episode, it's um, on that chain of islands that uh, you uh, explore in Pirates. Uh, oh, which yes. is not in the Mediterranean or in Europe, but actually <laughs> uh, bring that up. south of, <laughs> of North America. Um, and then from there, I uh, spent a, a week snorkeling in Barbados. Uh, this was because my wife loves to travel and go to warm places when it's chilly. And, you know, Seattle can be chilly and even in the spring. So we went out there and then uh, did a week in San Francisco to catch up with old friends. Uh, a lot of uh, form, uh, friends that I used to work with. And, um, yeah. So it was a good times. Fantastic. How about yourself? You had uh, pretty epic trips as well. Pleasure uh, and yeah. business, right? Yes, yeah. So, I mean, besides the two trips back and forth to San Francisco uh, earlier last month, then I, uh, I went to Iceland, uh, which is another tiny volcanic island at this time in the far north. And uh, we took nine days and just rented a, a four by four and went off-roading and saw all the crazy cool stuff up there. Uh, and then as soon as I got home, I had a few days of just scrambling to prepare some content and stuff, and then went to Shanghai, uh, which I just got back from. Yeah, so uh, are you jet-lagged at all? Well, you kind of stop jet-lagging at some point and just, <laughs> you know, I just, I come home and I sleep at night, and uh -huh. then that is just what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, it's really not not too bad. But, uh, yeah, bouncing between the... Um, uh, the, the the time difference of five hours then the time difference of 12 hours mm -hmm. with a little bit of normal home time difference in between uh, does kind of screw you up a little bit, but uh, it's not too bad. So well, I make it work. Uh, I'd love to hear, before we get into our topics uh, proper, I'd love to hear your, your impressions of the developer scene in Shanghai because it's been a real hotbed over the last decade. You know, before I even do that, I want to mm. mention something that really surprised me, and that is how amazing the architecture in Shanghai mm. is. Um, I, and it's not something you would think of, really, because Beijing was very, very functional, very mm -hmm. square buildings mm -hmm. everywhere. It was the seat of the Chinese government. But Shanghai, every building was different yeah. and just 
awesome. Are you, have you been? Yes, yeah, I've been there a couple times. And I know from your photographs uh, that I've seen online that you were, uh, in particular, you're in the Pudong area, which yep. is uh, like where the new development is. And had you um, maybe wandered just a few blocks away from there, I don't even know if it still exists. You would have seen old, old Shanghai, which is being completely destroyed and torn up. It's a little bit tragic yeah. in that there's a lot of history there that's being lost. Yeah. We um, saw all the buildings that were just hollowed out. And yeah. and we and we also went over to the Bund, which was like the super rich area, which yeah. was pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was really awesome. Yeah, my, my uh, dad tells stories about the Bund that um, would ju- it just, uh, you know, it's... It, it sinks your heart because it's about the like my dad remembering when he was, uh, you know, um, less than ten years old. He was like maybe eight or nine, and um, being sent there um, to meet a grandfather he had never met because his grandfather uh, worked at an export uh, like bank on the bun, mm. and he witnessed the run on the banks as the Chinese government was collapsing, as the Japanese were invading, and uh, oh, people being crushed to death there on the bund um, because they're trying to get their money out. And then having to rely on the kindness of strangers to find this old man who was blind, whom they have never met, but was their um, paternal grandfather. Um, and then those two boys were supposed to es- escape, get to Taiwan before, um, you know, before uh, travel was impossible. And when uh, is that movie out in theaters? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but you know what? That's a typical Chinese story. That's why so many Chinese <laughs> movies are so depressing because everyone went through that. Everyone who is a Chinese American immigrant has uh, a, a parent or a grandparent that has that story. Um, yeah, so. Shanghai was the Paris of the East, I think, I think is what they used to call it. So the Bund was always beautiful like that, you know, as mm-hmm. as far as, you know, we here in the West are concerned. Um, it always had that European influence. And then just across the water, yeah, you have the Pudong, which is like the reflection of like China ascending. And it's a lot of commercial development and stuff. And, they have and apparently, yeah, that are yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, like you said, the architecture is unbelievably ambitious, very reminiscent. Like the feeling I get is, you know, because of my architectural history background, um, this is what it must have felt like to be in Chicago back in the turn of the uh, sure. previous century when the tall building problem was finally being solved. When they're like, oh, we can use not just cast iron, but this new uh, this new material uh, of steel and build really tall buildings and look at the might of the American system. And I think Shanghai is trying to do the exact same kind of thing. And apparently architects from all over the world come to build there because the government just mm-hmm. lets them visualize their, their dream yep. or whatever yeah. and, and sort of build the things they want. And the results are these like fantastical buildings that just look weird and crazy and, mm-hmm. and are huge. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, onto the game market. Um, so it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me. And I, this is going to sound stupid. Mm-hmm. This is going to sound dumb American. But the volume of developers in China mm-hmm. uh, that come to our events. Obviously, that seems dumb because China has a lot of people. And so it only seems reasonable. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at our, our keynote event, we had 4,000-some attendees. Um, the event that I ran uh, was a day-long uh, VR event. We uh, we booked a full room at 260 people, and an extra 80 showed up. Wow. And we fit them all in. And I think the count at the end of the day was 330-some people. Um, just absolutely crazy. And, you know, the audience is very different there than it is anywhere else, right? 
I had mentioned this before, where they're very um, stoic, very stone-faced. Uh, doesn't mean you're doing bad. It just they don't really react. They just watch, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I don't know if that's out of politeness or, or social structure or what. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in America or anywhere else, you'll be talking. People will be on Facebook. Uh, people will get up and leave at some points if they want to or whatever. But uh, in China, everyone stays the whole time. No one leaves. Um, even if they want to, I'm sure. I mean, it's just, it's a very different energy in a room. So it, it's really neat to have like 330 people there and the room be quiet mm-hmm. while you're talking. You know, there's no other, nothing, you know. Uh, it, it's it's pretty slick. I, I always enjoy that. So I, I did that and then I, um, I delivered a talk um, on the last day of the event, which went over really well. Um, just my whole um, uh, neuroscience, uh, the neuroscience of VR, mm-hmm. where I talk more mm-hmm. about uh, uh, I'm trying to re-co- rephrase AI to be artificial imagination. And I talk about how we offload the effort of imagination under the machine to increase immersion and uh, presence mm-hmm. uh, in the neocortex. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, again, very receptive to that sort of stuff. And, and I was impressed by the number of, of AR devs that are, are there, right? Augmented reality mm-hmm. developers. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, augmented reality right now is dominated by mobiles, our mobile market, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the China market is very new to the video game scene. I mean, they only started selling consoles five years ago, yeah. six years ago. I mean, they went from being a fairly small market for us to being maybe our second largest market next to America. They may have overtaken America just in terms of pure um, consumerism, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so since it's still so relatively new, there's still it's still so mobile dominated. And so AR really has a chance there because people are taking risks. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a new frontier for them. You know, for us, we think, oh, mobile development is just old hat at this point. But for them, this is new stuff. And with the sheer number of people, and not just in China, but in that whole Asia-Pacific region, um, there is a real foothold for indie developers making unique augmented reality, not necessarily just experiences, but tools mm-hmm. and things like that. Yep. Not necessarily the game industry, but just other industries. And, uh, and people are latching on and they're making money because they all rely so heavily on their mobile devices and they wouldn't even think that it would be on a console or a PC or whatever. I mean, mobile is their centralized gaming experience for the most part. And so, yeah, it's 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 right at the forefront for them. And so a lot of people um, have been asking for AR, VR stuff there, even at non-AR, VR events, which is, you know, kind of random, kind of uh, unusual. And uh, it's just a really it's, – it's really big for them there, which is always really cool to see. It's just a very different industry, um, both from a, a business standpoint and a cultural standpoint. Yeah, interesting. I – I wonder if uh, you have any insight onto this. Did you perceive that they were interested in VR, AR um, development to create consumer uh, applications or because um, it was more general than that? It was like, oh, we want to do scientific visualization or we're going to be manufacturing these things and we want to be able to use our mobile devices to help us on the factory floor or um, sure. to... So- 
for training right. purposes, anything like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't get to talk to as many people okay. as I'd like to because my Chinese is not <laughs> uh, not even rusty, just kind of non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so I was really relying on either a translator to be present or someone to speak English, mm-hmm. you know. And so I didn't – I maybe talked to 30 people after my events, you know. I mean, not a lot, but not terrible. And it really seemed to span the gamut. I mean, every person I talked to had some other idea. Uh, and so, I mean, I talked to, I mean, really a small number of game studios and then everyone else – was non-gaming, but different non-gaming. It's not like I, I heard repeat ideas. So some mm-hmm. folks were talking about training. Uh, some folks were talking about um, uh, factory uh, visualization and planning. Um, some research students were talking about using virtual reality um, augmented with um, smelling agents to elicit memories and, and things like that. Wow. Um, which I kind of they, – because they – you know. I, I kind of warned about – I don't think that's a good – personally, I don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. I hear this all the time. People are – you know, I, there's companies starting up like Olorama and stuff like that to talk about like, you know, the, the 4D. A lot of places they'll say we have 4D this and that. And uh-huh. when they mean that fourth dimension is smell. And, you know, I think it's a terrible idea for a couple reasons because, first off, I don't want to smell most of the games I play. Um, I think that's a really bad idea. But besides that, smelling – requires something, some particle to enter your nose, Mm -hmm. right? And so if your game is giving you a scent, it's doing that with a chemical. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you keep exposing the nerves in your nose to chemical agents Mm -hmm. to elicit smells. Um, I mean, worst case scenario, it deadens your sense of smell temporarily, right? Or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. best case scenario, dens mm-hmm. your sense of smell for a time. Worst case scenario, you have allergic reactions. Yeah, yeah. You you permanently burn out a particular scent. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from my time overseas in the military, there are certain smells I just can't smell anymore. I just – those what? don't exist to me. Like um, what? Like yeah. diesel? Gunpowder? Uh, no, no, not diesel. I can smell diesel. Uh-huh. But uh, like how would you describe the smell of pine? Oh, um, like uh, very crisp, like very – uh, taut and um, sp- not spicy, but like yeah, awakening and refreshing. Yeah, clean. Like See, the to forest, me, yeah. pine smells sweet now uh-huh. because yeah. I can't smell bitter. Oh. I can't. So a lot of bitter smells I can't smell. Huh. Which you know, to, to be crude, it was actually kind of, kind of interesting mm-hmm. when my kids, you know, uh-huh. growing up, when they needed their diapers changed, uh-huh. I couldn't tell. <laughs> I can't. I can't smell it. Really? Um, yeah. No. Maybe if, this explains you know, why you don't like beer either. Maybe. I, I don't know. But my dog will poop in the house. I have no idea. <laughs> my dog was uh, sprayed by a skunk. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there. My eyes are watering. I don't know why. I'm home alone with the dog. Uh-huh. My wife comes home. I've let the dog run around and rub himself all over the house. Uh-huh. And uh, she comes in she, furious. And uh-huh. I'm just sitting here with my eyes watering, looking at her like I'm an idiot. <laughs> I can't tell why. I just thought my eyes were watering or whatever. I can't smell it. That is uh, so cool. I have never heard of something <laughs> like that before. Yeah, but it's just being exposed to chemicals yeah, well, I mean, and smells. Yeah, and yeah. Tum- you know, well, uh, first of all, I hope that that is the extent to which your military service has affected your 
health and your senses. Um, sure. Because if that's the case, it's kind of funny and it's and it's very unique for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I love it. Yeah. yeah, I really do hope, yeah, that uh, 70-year-old Mike isn't like suffering like, because I couldn't smell bitter, I <laughs> ingested all this poison and like, oh, my buddy Mike. <laughs> Let the gas run for hours or whatever. Right, right. No, I mean, yeah, nothing so tragic yet anyway, fingers crossed. But, uh, but so when I hear people talking about like these these smell injection packets and stuff like that and, and experiences that, I mean, let's face it, someone might sit and experience a game. I mean, VR, you tend to have a shorter play experience, but yeah. we'll say even an hour, right? Yeah. An hour being exposed to sense, you know, like I'll walk into Bed Bath & Beyond and mm-hmm. T- mm-hmm. 10 minutes later, I can't smell it anymore. Yeah, right. No, right? I hear what you're and saying. Yeah, exactly. And so it, it, it becomes kind of concerning. But I mean, I don't want to harp just on that one point. But that's that's one th- like a research team was mentioning to me or a student mm-hmm. was mentioning to me. And I'm like, I don't I don't know about that. Like maybe someday when we can use some form of electronic signal to bypass and give ourselves smell sensation, mm-hmm. maybe then. But I think the actual receptors in our nose are, are too valuable and easy to deaden. Um, personally, anyway, I don't. This is me saying that without doing any research <laughs> on the topic whatsoever. So that's just purely gut instinct. Yeah. But uh, you know, the, yeah, it was it's interesting. It just a lot of different types of projects and people and interests and some people were themselves trainers and so they came to sort of get an edge and then they were going back to their classrooms Mm -hmm. and stuff so i mean this whole emergent industry which we kind of knew about anyway but uh but but much stronger there um at least i mean that was the feeling that i got after just you know one event there were two actually because at beijing uh, in december kind of was the exact same way we had this exact same conversation so um it seems to be consistently strong over there this uh, mobile innovation not really looking towards a lot of heavier tech i mean because I, I imagine a lot of it's harder to get um but uh, but mobile really strong yeah interesting yeah, yeah. You know, mobile has been strong i remember learning about japan uh being um, surprisingly mobile-focused um, in in ways that uh, we aren't used to on the West because we always think of them as being Nintendo or um, Sony. And it's like, yes, they do have very strong console markets, but they really, really, really have a strong mobile market as well. Um, exactly. Yeah. For us, mobile gaming is often looked down upon casual mm-hmm. gamers, right? right? Oh, casuals, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in Korea, the 2D market is huge. Mm-hmm. We go to Korea to show them some 3D stuff and they don't care. You know, they don't want <laughs> yeah. to see this. They're not interested mm-hmm. at all. They mm-hmm. want to see innovations in 2D, mm-hmm. making their life developing 2D games easier because, you know, I mean, a lot of times the mobile hardware isn't as fast. Mm-hmm. As, I mean, uh, I was talking about Tizen in the, the highest, what do I say, hardware level of of the Tizen phone by Samsung is the equivalent of the Galaxy S3. And so if you think we're on the S8 now, mm-hmm. uh, you think, okay, that kind of puts a benchmark in your head. It's obvious why 2D is so popular there. And the phones are real gaming machines mm-hmm. over there. Um, and so, yeah, again, mobile, very strong. Yeah. Well. It's interesting stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, and of course Unity has its background as a mobile multi-platform engine, so it, I'm sure the interest there is a particular particularly high, especially if it becomes a VR AR enabled. So, sure. That's cool. I Not, mean, yeah. It- 
the popularity of Cocos 2D cannot be understated in those okay. markets. Really? I mean, they have okay. a strong stranglehold on oh. that on that market. But okay. you know, like I said, I like, like I've said before, I'm you know I'm technology agnostic on oh. this podcast. I mean, yeah. credit where credits due. Um, however, you know, Unity is 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 working into these markets and, and gaining a following as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, th- this is the Asian market is definitely not one where Unity just. Um, is the de facto standard. Got it. It's really, yes, right. you ha- it's really an aggressive approach to that market because Cocos 2D is the de, f- de facto standard. Okay, there. got it. Yes, especially since I mean your product name is, uh, is supposed. It's Unity 3D, right? I mean that's Unity. No, was no, it's 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 Unity. That's okay. that's one of those classic misnomers because okay. the website is Unity 3D because okay. Unity.com was owned by some church for a long time. We own it now. <laughs> okay, but uh, so they just did Unity 3D, and okay. so that everyone thought that was the name of the okay. engine, but it's not. Okay. I think the first book I ever wrote has Unity 3D on the cover. Oh, okay. Until later, I was like, oh, that's that's not the name? Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> cool. We just yeah, learned a bit I, of trivia. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, Cocos 2D isn't really as popular in the States because most of the documentation is in, I believe, Chinese. Uh, and so, obviously, you can't just and look up answers to your questions and stuff. And documentation is the lifeblood right. of, of any development platform. But we also have this weird um, American... Uh, stigma against oh a 2d only engine that's not sophisticated or that's not i mean i definitely perceived that when i was uh teaching myself how to script initially in game maker pro which i love i love that uh engine oh yeah it's um, great um uh and it really it has built in uh tutorials it's a really great learning platform but i always felt like oh but am i am i um hampering myself in my long-term mm-hmm. um abilities if i don't uh pick up an engine that is 3D capable. And that's when I started looking into getting, um, you know, a more capable machine. And that's when I actually ended up meeting you. It's the oh, weirdest, yeah, there yeah, you it's go. the weirdest <laughs> of coincidence. It's like, oh, the actual guy <laughs> training people on the engine that I'm interested in uh, learning. In Ohio. And has the machine that I would need in order to learn it because he used that <laughs> machine. It's funny. Anyways, anybody who forgets our first couple of episodes would maybe forgot or didn't know that that's our origin story is that we met that well, They should way. go back and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, we met through Craigslist. <laughs> like all Casual great couples. Encounters. Like, yes, like all great couples. That's oh, awesome. The internet brought us together. You, you're my first online relationship. Wow. <laughs> all right. I feel, I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> uh, should we probably should actually get to the topics. Oh, crap. How, how many minutes played? are we into this and we haven't started yet? Like 22, 22 minutes. <laughs> um, so... We had originally planned to talk about peripherals, mm-hmm. but it's been two months and neither of us can remember what about peripherals we were planning on talking about. So am I correct anyway? I, I assume yeah, unless I you, mean, you I, remembered. I remember a little bit of what I wanted to talk about. I don't know that it's actually interesting to anyone just because I'm an old fogey and I wanted to touch on some of like, hey, did you know peripherals used to mean this to us and do this for us and you couldn't do this and that there were, you know, they were weren't necessarily gaming devices. They were input devices, you know, that kind of thing. But we can get into that another time because I think you had received some uh, questions from listeners. I received several questions from folks. Um, And, uh, you know, actually, so... I'm going to kind of take this one backwards okay? because um, I'd got in, in the order that I got them because the, the last one I think really strikes a chord with a lot of stuff I've heard you talk about in the past, especially when dealing with students. And that's how do you find a mentor? What mm. What is – what can you expect from a mentor? What is what is being a mentor? 
mentoree yeah. or a mentor? Like, what, yeah, what, mentor what does that look mentee, like yeah. so, in this, co- in right, this current kind of right, day and age? Right. Um, to give people a little bit of context, uh, when I first met Mike, he invited me to um, review some portfolios and maybe give a little talk uh, at the Cleveland Institute of Art. Uh, and I was really up for it because um, it sounded like a lot of fun and I enjoyed uh, meeting Mike and I wanted to do that. And I knew that the one thing that I could leave with the students that would have real tangible benefit wasn't necessarily some insights on their portfolio, though I was going to be happy to do that, um, nor the talk about portfolios and how to set one up that I was uh, uh, going to give. Really, the thing that was going to make or break someone's initial career was whether or not I could hook people up with a mentor. Um, and you had that stack of index cards. Yeah, I had. I brought... I brought <laughs> my, you know, always be closing stack of contacts who had, I already pre-screened to be willing to take on students who I felt um, were uh, ready for development into a professional level. Meaning no matter how good the school you go to, uh, it is preparing you theoretically. Um, It's giving you valuable skills and experience, but to actually become a professional you need to learn about the professional world. And schools are not necessarily, unless they set you up with an internship, not going to do that. And so mentorship Schools teach you how to learn for the most yeah, part, in my yes, opinion. Yes, and I absolutely agree with, uh, with you on that. How to be part of a team, how to be personally uh, disciplined in a way that doesn't just answer to yourself, but to the benefit of others who are not evaluating you periodically against a benchmark, but daily against the unknowns of the marketplace. That's a completely different context. And so you need someone or you could benefit greatly from someone who is um, doing that and is looking for help and is going to help cultivate your development so that you can help him or her uh, in their endeavor. I was a benefactor. Uh, I benefited from having a mentor. I was really conflicted about whether or not I wanted to be an architect or an engineer anymore. And um, on a lark, uh, I had a great roommate who suggested that I take up this uh, digital animation course. Um, This is the 90s, people. So like the mid 90s. So like digital animation was this brand new thing. Uh, We had a new institute at the University of Illinois that was doing it. We had one- It was on a chalkboard, right? Well, we had- With a slate? No, because that would have destroyed the computers. But we had whiteboards. (laughs) That was like the only classroom with whiteboards. And we were using Silicon Graphics workstations, usually nice. using Alias. Um, and uh, that one class uh, was taught by um, this great woman named Donna Cox, who is uh, really known for visualizations. And she loved, she was like the, um, uh, shoot, who's the professor? Uh, is it Slughorn? Professor Slughorn, the one who loves to collect students, and it, it, he's not really looked in a great light. But so I want—I don't want to denigrate uh, uh, Donna Cox in that way. She was. I the have type no of idea pro- who you're talking about. Okay, well, there's a professor <laughs> who loves to collect great students, right? And okay. Donna loved to, to put her students in front of professionals and say, "This person is awesome at this, and my student is really good at this." She loved pimping us out for lack of a better term. Um, and she invited one of her former students to come and speak to us. And uh, his name was Paul Zinnis. And he came and he said, oh, I trained as an industrial engineer, didn't really like it. So I went to industrial design, but I ended up working in video games. I was like, 
here I am, I'm a structural engineer, now studying architecture. Maybe I should go into video games because I loved video games, especially when I was younger. Um, and so he and I developed a mentorship mentee relationship where I was like, hey, here's my latest portfolio. And like, oh, that's nice, but it's not really, it doesn't tell me anything about your ability to do blank for me or this for this project. Like, can you think in terms of those types of problems? I'm like, oh, okay. And I go off and I create more art that would try to answer those questions. I mean, I spent a year developing a portfolio, not showing it to anyone, submitted it to him. And then he was like, no, for these reasons. And then in two months, I had a completely different portfolio. And it was that two month portfolio that got me my first job. And it was only because he had worked with me over the course of a year with encouragement and, you know, and friendly hellos. Um, that I was able to come from the Midwest working in a steel fact, uh, like a small steel mill. Uh, mm. Like literally that's what I was doing with my life. Um, and then coming home at night and working on this portfolio when I wasn't playing the original Starcraft. So, uh, so I guess how can, uh, to kind of loop back uh, to yeah, sorry about the questions, how can people, I mean, cause that sounds like sort of a, more or less a stroke of, of luck, right? And I've I've never had a I'm on, I don't think I've had a mentor. Um, hopefully, I didn't piss anyone off who thought maybe <laughs> they were my mentor, and I just forgot forgetting uh-huh. them. But but so you know, it seems like you know, is it luck? Is it you know? Do you need like how yeah, do it's, it's how, part, how does this it's happen? One part luck, right? I was lucky to have accepted the invitation to take a class that was completely unrelated to my field of study. And it was luck that I had a professor who liked to encourage us uh, and put us in front of uh, professionals and invited professionals to come meet us. But after that luck was done, it was up to me to actually email the guy. So out of mm-hmm. that class, I don't know if anyone else emailed him. I may have and been the only you one. you emailed and said what? Were you, were you interested was, in I was being like, a hey, mentor? Yeah, I was like, well, I said I was... I really enjoyed the things that you said. These are the specific things that I took away from it. I'm thinking I would like to do those things as well. Uh, could I show you some of my work uh, that would, uh, and you could tell me, give me your feedback. And so basically, if you ask someone for specific help, not just like, will you be my mentor? Like, what does that mean? That's meaningless. It's like, right, exactly. I have a specific goal. My specific goal is to do what you do. Can you look at my work and tell me if I'm ready? You know, for example, that was my case. Maybe yours well, is... how do I get ready? Uh, yeah, yeah, right. And um, and so give them something very concrete to look at. The, why should they give you five minutes if you haven't put in, you know, the 20 hours to produce the work that they're going to review? If you're exactly. like, if you just, you know, a one-liner, hey, can you help me out? Their, their answer would be like, I'm going to give you exactly the same effort that you're giving me. In fact, I'm going to give you less because I, what's in it for me? As the mentor, right. I'm busy. I'm a working professional, and why would exactly. I want you have to understand their time? Yeah, at why, that yeah. point is worth a lot more than yours. It right. should be a, a one to twenty ratio, a yeah. one to fifty right. ratio. Right. You know, as far and, as time input. Yeah. So that was, I think, what turned that those bits of luck into a lasting mentorship that actually gave me the feedback necessary, and then gave me the reference necessary, given that I had no previous game experience, to actually come in. So, I mean, barring you coming into a class with your stack of index mm-hmm. cards, mm-hmm. how can how do people find, find people to be mentors? Like, yeah. what, what would you suggest? Yeah, if I didn't have the benefit of that one class, I would ask myself, where do game developers in my area uh, congregate? 
um, where are they open to be social and network? If you are in their a homes place, and then yeah. you stock them. Yeah. Well, see, well yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is exactly the wrong response, right? It's like, don't, intru- you're not, you're not looking to intrude on their personal space. You're looking to like, where are you going so that where you want to meet new and interesting people and chat about networking events and such. Yeah. And, um, so I would say it is expensive, but GDC would probably be a good, in fact, I went mm-hmm. to GDC a couple years ago and hung out with you a little bit. I didn't even go to any of the talks. I didn't buy a ticket. I just went there to network. And I've only been to maybe one talk at GDC ever. Oh, really? I go to network as well. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I so never go to So my suggestion talk. might be, and I've not tested this as myself as a student or I've had students tell me that this works. So this is just me spitballing here. You probably have lots of friends who are into games or know maybe one cousin or one friend who has a friend who works in games. If they're going to PAX in your area, if they're going to GDC, if they're going to E3, you and your buddies get together and hang out with that person and chat and have a, if you're underage, you don't have a drink, but if you are of age, you go out to, a, you know, the nearest um, drink up, you know, because there's always game dev drink ups. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, yeah, actually, that, that's a phrase for you, game dev drink up. There's one there in, the ones in San Francisco. There's ones in the Seattle area. I'm sure there must be one in Austin and L.A. I'm oh, sure yeah. there are. I'm sure there are. You just Absolutely. Look, look up Many. that Internet term, like get game dev drink up in the name of your city and see if there's one that pops up. There's probably one in Cleveland, in fact. Um, there is. Yeah. Great. Every month. And if you are willing to show your 20 hours of work for every you know minute of their time that you're asking for, then I have a feeling people love to feel like they're experts, right? So that you appeal to that sense of saying like, huh, I'm a novice who's trying really, really hard, but you're an expert and you can help me with this problem. Do you have the time? I guarantee you someone's going to say yes, at least in that moment. And then if you follow up appropriately, not in this clingy sort of way, treat it like really like a, like a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then they would be comfortable in giving you uh, the, uh, input that they can, uh, and that'll help you um, develop the skill set or the portfolio or whatever it happens to be that you need in order to um, find a position or create um, enough experience under your belt that you can gather those other people around you and you can do your own thing. Um, right. Yeah. And, and in terms of things like uh, these drink ups and GDC and mm-hmm. packs and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I always feel that it's important because I, I see, I see two things happening all the time that are that are big like no what are you what are you doing mm-hmm. right um, because I, I I know I have known several students that go to GDC looking to network looking to find potential work and stuff like that or a mentor or whatever mm-hmm. and not necessarily students but maybe just other professionals that are sort of struggling and whatever and I the two behaviors I, I always see are one is not going to the parties because the fact of the matter is is that it's it's about the parties right you've <laughs> right. got to go to the parties it's like counterintuitive. i'm telling you my first gdc i just partied like nonstop like maybe 3 hours of sleep a night maybe um, but i walked away from that first gdc with everything i've accomplished since then mm. right that is that is the sleepless nights upon which i've built the guy empire, so <laughs> if you want to call it that, right? right. So you, you've got to go to these social events because, mm-hmm. as you just said, you got to go where the p- 
people who are willing to be mentors are willing to be social. Mm -hmm. And that is, if you go to a party, you're obviously saying, hey, I'm willing to be social to some extent. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first behavior that I see that annoys me is that when people are like, oh, I want to, I want to find a job or I want to network, and then they don't go to the parties. Mm -hmm. What what, what are you going to, what are you planning Mm -hmm. on doing then? Mm -hmm. Bothering them in the hallway when they're trying to get to a session or something? That's not a good idea. The second thing is they make it about the party. Mm-hmm. So they go to the party and they party. Mm-hmm. And that is also problematic. You don't want to approach someone who might potentially be helpful to you, a mentor if you want to call it that or whatever, while you're hammered. That's right? right. Or right. you don't want to be you know, grinding on, on someone on the dance floor only to find out later that they were offended and that was the person you were hoping to approach and you yeah. had no idea or whatever, right? right? right. You want... I mean, or someone's watching you and then, you know, they're thinking, oh, look at this clown or whatever, yeah. right? Um, it's it it's about the party, but it's not about the party. And uh, you go to these things, you have a couple of drinks, sure, but yeah, you don't get hammered and, and, you, and you network and you socialize. And it's a skill. A lot of people, especially in the games industry, are very socially uncomfortable in those environments, mm-hmm. especially when they've come by themselves and they're just yeah. effectively cold calling people at parties, just a hi, you know, otherwise. Right. So they drink excessively and, mm-hmm. it, and and they think, oh, this will help me. But the only thing that's really going to help you is practice and it's going to be painful. Um, it's, you know, that's something I do every time I travel, every time I'm at a bar, anytime I'm at anywhere, I just talk to people, even if I feel super uncomfortable mm-hmm. about it. The right. worst, the hardest is walking up to a group of women, you know, as a guy <laughs> right. and just right. start talking to them. I have no intention of trying to pick them up or anything, but it is socially a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so I do it. It's a form of exercise. Yeah. Right? You, you end up and, over-practicing and becoming uh, better, way better. You overcompensate for your weaknesses, right? Yeah. It becomes an over exactly. skill. Yes. Exactly. And then later, as you walk away feeling like an idiot, all you're doing is going, what did I do? What could I have done yeah. better? Mm-hmm. Right? That is the one thing social, awkward, you know, situations in bars is super helpful with is self-evaluation, uh, even though it also often comes with self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, on that note, you know, you go to these events you got to go to them first, which mm-hmm. is what you were saying. But while there, remember while you're why you're there, um, and that's important because you know you know first contact, first impressions are are crazy important. If someone comes up to me and you know, and they seem like a clown, like hey, you gonna you want to check out my portfolio? Not really. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, find me tomorrow. I'll be here, and I'll never be there or whatever. <laughs> right. I, I try not to do that, but but you know, we all right. see those people sometimes. Yeah. But you know. It, Another thing that you talk about, and, I, and I'll give you a chance to talk mm-hmm. sort of some more about it, is what you had said there about being clingy. Certainly, you don't want to do that, but there comes a point where you you have to stop leeching off of your network, mm-hmm. right? And that's something you talk about a lot, where right. you, you have to, at some point, as you gain value, it becomes a two-way street. Right. And at some point, you need to give back to the group or else the group will get rid of you kind of deal, right? right? When it's no longer a, oh, hey, you're just going to ask me, ask me, ask me, but never be able to, to, to give anything back, then, okay, this person is just a parasite. Right. You have to always present yourself as being useful, right? You have – that's the – I mean, it comes down to it. You or or wanting to be useful. Yeah. Like, hey, right. I can't help you now, right. but if I could, I would. Yeah, and, I'm, yeah. and that I have genuine potential energy here that you mm-hmm. could mold and 
to your purposes. And I'd be very grateful to have the opportunity to serve that need for as long as it was useful to both of us. Yeah, the proposition has to be, I have potential to solve a problem of yours, but I need to be cultivated into that position. Are you interested in doing so? And they'll be like, I get asked all the time why I hang out with students almost exclusively at so many of these big industry events. Mm -hmm. And I always say, because they're not gonna be students forever. Mm Right. I'm yeah, I'll hang out with you for a night. I'll show you around. Hello, I'll buy you all dinner. We'll we'll chat. We'll talk about this. I'll, I'll look at your portfolios. We'll have a you know good, meaningful conversation about the industry. And then, you know, I'll turn around in three years. And this has happened <laughs> several times where I'm at some company doing a visit. I'm like, oh, hey, it's you. And I've got it in. And yeah. it's like sweet, right? So mm-hmm. I've I've already got someone favorable to me, uh, and it's a, it's great how this stuff works out. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if if I looked at someone and they didn't have that potential, I wouldn't bother. But it is an investment. Anyone being a mentor, yeah, they like to feel good and they like to give back and they like to feel important. But they also like to make investments, yeah. right? Because this is a volatile industry, right? You know, you so you turn around tomorrow and you just don't have a job, right? And so you need to have as many of those investments out there as possible. Yeah. So if you're looking for someone to be your mentor, you have to be like, hey, guess what? I'm an investment mm-hmm. that that could pay off for you, right? Right. Yeah, and that's very important. Yeah. And part of that is what, yeah, there's that fine balance of like, I'm not going to be uh, asking, 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 or taking, taking, taking. I'm also not going to be clingy. It's really difficult, especially if you don't have a lot of experience in these areas to know that line of, I need to show that I am proactive and that I'm not just going to hang it out there. Do your Google searches before asking me a question. Yeah, exactly. I did my Google search before I asked me a question. I did the work before asking for your input. And mm-hmm. um, I'm demonstrating a response to your input and now requesting further input. Um, I, you know, the response after, is important I, too. Yeah, I hooked yeah, up a absolutely. lot of kids with mentorships and unfortunately uh, they didn't follow up. And so, yep. you know, those people in my deck were like, yeah, it didn't work out so well. I'm not sure that these students have the potential you think they do. It was just disappointing to hear because um, yeah. these people are at the pinnacle of the games industry. I'm talking about the highest. I had people who are now executive producers at like HBO. They were they were mentoring people, but they didn't follow up. And so they like, yeah, I'm an executive producer at HBO. I can't be bothered with this kind of stuff anymore. Um, so right. um, that that sucks. And it sucks for me because I invested and I took a chance and it, it didn't well, work out. Well, kind of besmirches your name a little yeah. bit because yeah. they're like, who's I, this clown you brought to me? Right. So like, now you I, have to be more, my time. I have to be more careful. Um um, or things like, um, oh, what was I going to th- say? It was salient point. Anyways, well, there's a lot of ways to approach being um, someone new in the industry looking for uh, assistance. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. If anyone ever shows up, if you're, this is, really applies to students, shows up at your school and is repeatedly reviewing portfolios as a favor to the school, they're not really... They're not doing it as a favor. It is not a, hey, I'm just going to let you guys take and take and take from me. They are in it for something. They are screening you guys because new talent is cheaper talent, generally speaking. Sure. And if you're trying to start up a company, you need to have a low overhead. And so I not know only of that, other but you students, get to mold them the way you want them exactly. to be if you get so them new. I know firsthand of experiences of, of this happening as we speak. Um, of people who spun out of, say, Bungie, for example, who are now uh, spent some time at DigiPen and are now like hiring the best of their best because they were there. So pick up on those clues. That's not just some dude or or gal up at the podium 
saying something just to, because they want to sound important. They're trying to meet you to find the best among you. And so if you're willing to I will say, though, that, if you see me standing at the front of the podium, <laughs> I am just trying to sound important. I am not hiring. But uh, I, I genuinely like reviewing portfolios, but I'm not hiring. I just, I just like reviewing portfolios. <laughs> but for the most part, you are correct. For yeah. the most part, it's a scouting mission. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, anything else you want to add on that? No, Should we no, move on to the next one? It. Cool. So we had a, another one. So that one was from someone on Twitter, and and, and I, I forgot to write down the name. So sorry about that. Uh, but uh, a, a buddy of mine, Rob, had emailed me uh, for last month's episode, which didn't happen, and had a, a pretty cool um, sort of uh, question that I, I think about from time to time, uh, where I had given a, a talk in January, and they're watching this talk, and they had attended. It was a, a full day workshop sort of deal, and they had mentioned that halfway through, they were like. Oh wow! Okay, this is changing my perception of the games that I play. Okay. Now I kind of yeah. have some understanding of mm-hmm. of what's actually happening behind the scenes. And so the question kind of is: is that you know how does the knowledge of the game development process affect your enjoyment of playing games? Right, like the the knowing how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. Right, and. Um, I thought that was a pretty cool question. I mean, it's something I talk about sometimes. It, 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 I mean, it's obviously different for, for everybody, but it, it's a very polarizing experience, right? Um, and, you know, I, I, and I'll let you talk about it a little bit before I sort of give my thoughts on it. But, uh, but I thought it was a pretty cool question. Yeah. Um, I remember, so the, my purest experience of games, of course, as a child, uh, not knowing anything about how any piece of technology worked, but just seeing... Uh, these images on the screen that were so evocative and the sounds that that were so alien and interesting and that I could be in control of it and I could master it uh, was was so seductive. And um, Mm -hmm. that didn't last for very long because you immediately start to uh, learn about how the game can be broken and you can master it and you start to understand that, oh, the way this machine works is that, you know, when I touch an invisible trigger or something, then this thing happens and it's, oh, you can actually predict what it's going to do next. And so then it stops uh, being so magic uh, or magical and more and more uh, machine-like. And so that led me down the the um, path of like, I wonder how the graphics are being created and start starting investigating graphics. But that changed um, the way that I was looking at the games that I was playing and um it's almost like I stopped, um, for example, eating food simply to enjoy the flavor, but also to appreciate that someone could make that flavor. Um, mm-hmm. So there was a deeper and different uh, sort of pleasure. Um, but it is true that the more you learn about how something is made, uh, the less you are able to experience it without that framework of, oh, I understand or I'm dissecting how it's being done. Um, and. Yeah, yeah. That that exactly. That it's interesting because you know there's that whole saying like uh, the more advanced the technology is, the more it's perceived as magic. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and so understanding what's going on behind the scenes, it stops being magic and starts being an appreciation of the art. Like mm-hmm. you said, stop enjoying the food just for the taste, but enjoying that someone was able to make that taste. Mm-hmm. So. I kind of see it one of two ways. It's very polarizing. So knowing how games are made, when there's a problem, you look at it and you go, come on, what is this crap? 
Like this is this would have been an easy fix. Why mm-hmm. am I looking at this? Why am I doing this? And or or this is bad design and mm-hmm. this is bad design mm-hmm. or, or or whatever. And you know that's completely understandable. And and on the other end, if you run into a problem in a game, you can stand back and go, you know what? I understand this problem, and this is a tough problem, mm-hmm. and I appreciate they did as, as well as they could. Mm-hmm. I always feel that way about Bethesda games. Bethesda <laughs> games get... I have some yeah, reason I do, exactly I do, because that that everyone talks like... about how buggy they are, <laughs> right. but I mean, they're so complex. Yes. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, they're going to uh-huh. be buggy. I uh-huh. mean, maybe not as buggy as they, they, they are. I, I don't know, but... But like I can look at some of the bugs and go, okay, I can I can appreciate this. I understand how complex this is. But I also use my my sort of deep understanding of the tech behind games as a litmus test to the quality of the game. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, you know, you you it's difficult to not be so analytical of a game. And so if I find myself playing a game and not not thinking about how it was made behind mm-hmm. the scenes, not being analytical, but to just enjoy the game. That means it was made really, really well, mm. right? If there wasn't something that caught my attention right. that made me go, oh, hey, I know how they did that, that means that they've done a really good job of, of building the experience to the point where I'm not even I'm not even doing that. I'm playing the game, right? And I'm not... You know, I'm not Mike, the game developer. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm Gunther, the dragon slayer, yeah, right, or whatever, right. you know, and I'm just in it. Yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, I mean that if if I play a game, I sit there for. I did this with uh, The Witcher Three, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Witcher Three. I was talking to some friends about it, and they're like, and I, you know, I was like, you know, I didn't really like The Witcher Three. It was okay, mm-hmm. but then I looked and I realized I had spent four hundred and eighty hours in that game, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh man. I must have really liked this game (laughs) and just not realized Uh it. I had no idea I had spent 480 (laughs) hours in this game and not long after it was out either. So I must have been playing it a lot. (laughs) And uh, and it was just like, oh, oh, geez, okay. All right, I must have been really enjoying this Uh or something. I don't know. I just kind of just went. And uh, and I look back and think, okay, yeah, I really did like that game. Um, Yeah, it's one of those things if you could just sort of pull the wool over your eyes, that means it's really, really good. But, yeah, but yeah every every mistake is just going to become this blatant, like, oh, God, why is this? Right. What, what? Terrible. And I think the way we consume games and how developers uh, make their games accessible for us as players kind of um, parallels uh, society's uh, engagement with games. For example, we all started as new to games and what are these things and specifically video games. Um, Of course, games have been around forever. But anyways, um, when digital games came on the scene, it was like this new form of magic for all of us. And we were just playing it for the pure thrill of of, uh, the experience. And then we became more curious, more tech savvy, and we learned more about them. And we started to really analyze them uh, a lot. And now we're at a point where we can and actually have both. Uh, we can, mm-hmm. as uh, I believe the author for uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance just recently passed, but in his book, I don't know if you ever read it, Zen and the Art mm-hmm. of Motorcycle I think you'd like that book a lot. I've never um, even heard of it. Oh, really? It's an older book. It's like written in, back in the you know hippy-dippy eras, like 50s, 60s okay. kind of thing. Um, but it's about motorcycle maintenance, cross-country touring, and the kinds of experiences one has when you're like, it's just me and the elements. Like you had an experience, I believe, in Iceland, which was like, oh, well, this isn't what we planned. How do I get around these problems? Um, sure. You know, when your vehicle broke down, well, 
motorcycle maintenance while you're touring the country is a lot like that. You have an appreciation for motorcycling across the country because it's a very romantic idea, right? And the wind mm-hmm. in your hair and the countryside rolling past. And you I know the understand. wind in my hair. Yeah. <laughs> in your beard, in your, in your, in your beard. Um, you have that um, romantic appreciation for that image. But in order for you to really have that fantasy become a reality, you have to have a classical um, understanding of how does an engine actually work? How do I change... Uh, the tire and why does the tire work that way? Um, you know, there are two ways of looking at that machine and appreciating mm-hmm. it. And uh, you I, want to go from the, being the audience member to being another wizard yeah, and able to appreciate right. the other wizards around you. And yeah. I found this in my own life's experiences. At first, as a you know early player, just purely as a fan, you know, it was just the romantic side of games that I loved. And my parents really saw this: gaming is a waste of your life. It's doing nothing for you. My mother actually said that to me. Like, why are you playing this game? They'll, they'll do nothing for you ever. It's like, ha ha, you know. They rot your brain. Yeah, they rot your brain. It's like, I had a career in them. Anyways, and then I became a young professional or, you know, learning about graphics and became a young professional. I got cocky and I really wanted to prove I knew everything about this technology and a chip on my shoulder. I was going to prove that I could do this kind of work. And I was all about demonstrating a classical understanding of the subject of games and like, oh, this design sucks or this feature, they did this wrong, they did blah, 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 blah. And now I'm at a point where I really enjoy, like I can really be into the mechanics of the game, just playing the game itself. And then mm-hmm. in the meta game, which the game developers actually provide nowadays through their social uh, systems in the game, I can chat about the meta, like, oh, this thing is this, we should be doing that, or this thing, this feature seems broken, but we can game it this way. And because, you know, we have that better understanding of how the game design is uh, uh designed to function and mm-hmm. for example i know you and i both played clash royale um initially mm-hmm. i continue to play that but um you know i really enjoy that three minute loop just even you know i just enjoy using those characters and playing the cards and seeing if i win and all that but then when i go to the clan chat you know we're dissecting like what's the best way to structure um our clan or strategies for doing certain things and we're talking about oh it looks like the chests are awarded on this fixed system oh we found this website that actually dissects exactly how it's going to unfold for you and you can look at your stats and all that kind of stuff and so we break the game down into numbers uh and i'm actually able to enjoy both and it's interesting that games now are designed to satisfy both ways of appreciating this medium both mm-hmm. the romantic Almost reverse and engineering the, the advanced math yeah. behind the mechanics right. and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So I think the evolution of a player or of a game enthusiast is, you know, purely the romantic experience of the game. Then you hyper focus on the classical understanding of games, and then you transcend both of those, and you're able to manage both understandings and have a very full appreciation for the medium. So I would encourage, of course, everyone to learn about how games are made and play them as well so that mm-hmm. um, I don't think you lose anything. In fact, you gain this other side. Granted, if you don't stop at that early professional stage where you're like, I'm, I'm learning about this, I'm learning about that, and I, I want to demonstrate my mastery of this knowledge, you have to get past that to like, and now I can appreciate other people's work and their intentions I'm probably, and all that stuff. I think I'm probably still there. I'm still very negative about all the games. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of times I'll look at a game and my friends will be playing and I'll be like, let me guess. It goes like this, 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 and then that's the end of the game. And it's like, ah, I'm just going to pass. Right? It, it, it right. does make me very selective, especially uh-huh. when it comes to narratives. And like, I'm I'm really good at finding uh, plot holes, yeah. right? And, well, and, it, and it's even worse for me with games 
Uh, I'm playing Mass Effect Andromeda right now, and I'm enjoying it, but the storyline is just one gigantic eye roll, uh-huh. and a lot of it, because a lot of it is like crazy cliche, mm-hmm. or you know, or they make really stupid decisions, and I get it, it's for the story and stuff like that, and I'm having fun playing the game, but I do find myself having a hard time not being negative about a yeah. lot of that. Well, let me defend- Like they have these, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I want to defend you. I want to defend Mike- guy of Mike's video game podcast. I think he actually is at that third stage of um, being a game enthusiast. I think well, I the reason that, why, you're why you're negative about those games is that because of your classical understanding of games, your ability to understand the systems that underlie these things, you're able to say, oh, so the mission here is to have a breathtaking, romantic cross-country motorcycle tour, but with a broken down vehicle uh, that runs on a single cylinder and it's 50cc capacity. That's not going to be fun. That's not going to actually achieve that romantic vision. So I'm not going to waste my time. Sure. Yeah. I got to say this. I don't know if you've played Mass Effect Andromeda or for anyone who's playing it out there or whatever. I just, I, not a spoiler, but I just want to say like, so they have, you play as this Pathfinder, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you're in this new, you're in Andromeda in the Helios uh-huh. system and you're trying to find planets for people to live on. And that's the job of the Pathfinder. And the Pathfinder has this like, this power and the ship and, and all this and, and this sort of autonomy and they're super important. Everyone's got to protect the Pathfinder or whatever. If they're so important, why only have one? <laughs> right. Right? Like mm-hmm. each race gets one. Mm-hmm. But like what happens if the Pathfinder's gone? We're all going to die. Have more than one. <laughs> have a little redundancy in your system. You travel all the way to the Andromeda <laughs> galaxy. And right? You're like, well, we're just going to put all the eggs uh-huh. in this basket. <sighs> just, I don't know. The anyway. universe is straight up kooky dukes, to paraphrase uh, Moana. <laughs> A lot of it's just like, like only you can do this. You're the Pathfinder. It's like, man, grab a gun. You can do this too. You're just asking me to go pick up a plant. Mm-hmm. You go pick up a plant. <laughs> this does not require me, right? <laughs> just go do it yourself. Anyway, all right. <laughs> I could go into a long rant about a lot of it. I am enjoying the gameplay, but a lot of the storyline is <laughs> just like, You're already oh, 400 okay. hours into this thing. You admit know, it. You love I'm it. Probably like, <laughs> I'm pretty far into it. Um yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else to say on this topic? No, think no. We... I think we've covered it or not covered it so poor. I don't know. So yeah, well whatever. that uh, people are like, just Underst- move on, please. Understanding games is good. Mm-hmm. At first it ruins your experience of games, but then it greatly enhances it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good summary. Yeah. 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 Sure. We'll put it yeah. that way. That's <laughs> probably... <laughs> Um, you know, so I, we're only going to have time for maybe one more of these, but this okay. one I thought was a really good uh, question as well, is how do you take criticism objectively? Mm. Now, I'm going to start by saying that I am really bad at this. Mm-hmm. I, I have a process that unfortunately is my process. I try not to do this, but I do it anyway, where, you know, there are a lot of people who, if they give me criticism, I take it to heart and I go, okay, great, because I respect their opinion. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who give me criticism. I'm just like, oh, God, shut up. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, Though definitely not with such clean language. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then later, I start thinking, you know, actually, they're probably right. Mm -hmm. And then I just sort of present it as if it was my idea. (laughs) <laughs> it's a terrible yeah. thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible thing to do, but it is my method, and uh, for better or worse, because I'm I'm not good at taking criticism. At least I can admit that about myself. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts on this? Um, you're much more yeah, yeah. you're much more personable than I am. Uh, when it comes time for me to be reviewed in some capacity, uh, I usually go into those. Um, well, hopefully you're not being ambushed. 
right? It's not mm-hmm. fair for you to receive uh, feedback when you are not seeking it um, uh, or it's not appropriate. So there should be enough structure around your work that there's like, I am at the uh, pre-agreed time for input to be uh, given. Now, for example, if your art director comes around, for, I'm just assuming this, uh, this is an artist for argument's sake, or some director's coming around to review your work or some peers coming around to your senior lead is coming to look at your work and they're supposed to, then yeah, you have to be open to that. But sure. The other thing, and this is not my uh, advice. This is um, advice I had heard from another uh, games professional, uh, a great animator over at, um, I think he's at Riot now. Uh, he's at Yekt is his name, or I just botched it. I can't pronounce it. He's on Twitter. He's a really good guy. And he's actually someone that would be a great um, mentor for people. Oh, that's another source, by the way, for mentors. People who are active on Twitter talking about Twitter. games development those are people that you are probably looking to be social and talking about the medium. Um, anyways, um, where was I? We were talking about how to take criticism. Um, yep. So, um, you have, uh, how to, how to bet best phrase this. Um, you have to know where you are in your particular task. Um, if I am, already doing a thing having someone come up to and say oh you shouldn't be doing that thing you should be doing something else that's not very helpful right it's like Mm -hmm. uh okay but i'm doing this thing uh how can i do this thing better it's not telling me that i should be doing another thing entirely that doesn't necessarily help me but if if i'm playing you know they might be right and he's like oh uh that's an interesting point of view um and uh uh, that may be something that needs to be addressed, that I may be working on the, on the wrong thing. Um, I can uh, find out if that's actually the case. Um, but if mm-hmm. you have an, a due date or something, this is what makes people not want to accept criticism. It's like, uh, it's due tomorrow. I can't not deliver it and then put in the two days, which I don't have, to do the other thing that you're suggesting, especially since you're not my boss. You're not the person mm-hmm. who gave me this work. Um, now, if I am trying to figure out what I'm trying to do or what I need to do, that's the appropriate time. He's like, well, that option has this weakness. You shouldn't do that option. You should do this other one. Okay, well, since I haven't made that you know, that decision or haven't been given a specific assignment, that level of criticism is appropriate, and therefore I can take it in much more easily. Um, so I would say, one, am I reacting poorly because I am in the middle of something and someone just randomly came up to me and is telling me to go in a completely, trying to take me off task? In which case, what my real reaction, my real problem is, is that um, my work doesn't appear to be the most important work that I could be doing right now. And maybe, maybe that bothers you. And so that's when you check in with your lead or the person who is responsible for assigning you work saying, hey, I received this interesting point. Uh, do you agree that this is the most important work given this idea? And then um, if the person confirms like, oh, absolutely, that person doesn't know this, 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 and this, you're like, okay, fine. And I can I can ignore that input and continue to work uh, uh, with confidence. Um, but if on the other hand, the person who was responsible for assigning your work can then review that input like, oh, actually, actually, that's a good point. Huh, how much time did you already spend? Okay, okay. And then I'll adjust your schedule. And then you're not under the threat of like, crap. I have to do, you know, all this work um, 
in overtime or something like that. So I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't react well to criticism is that um, it's not the appropriate time or it requires me to uh, do extra work um, in a way that forces me to make the sacrifice. Like I have to make up the extra time. Um, That's a very interesting way to approach that. Pretty much everything you said, uh I cannot relate to. (laughs) (laughs) So... You, I mean, in that it's completely valid. Just yeah. it, like so, for me, mm-hmm. uh, and and really, I mean, a lot of what I do, what a lot of what I've always done, mm-hmm. has been more or less with complete autonomy, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. even in my current situation, if I went to you know my boss and I said, hey. W- you know, given in light of this criticism, what do you think? My boss would probably say, I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Right? And so, you know, I operate with very loose timelines and, and a lot of autonomy. And I, I take criticism a little more harshly because most of the time the work that I'm presenting is more or less complete. I mean, if, if I'm in the concept oh, phases, then uh-huh. any criticism is right. fine, right? Because right. that's what we, I, right. I, you know, I go to my team and say, hey, what do we think about this, this, we brainstorm and stuff like that. But uh, it's more or less complete, but it also represents kind of like my heart and soul, you know? It's a representative representation of me, right, to an extent. Like, I can be okay with if the art is in a certain way or whatever, because I'm not an artist and whatever, but if the gameplay is a certain way or the genre, you know, and they're like, oh, I didn't like, then then I, I feel personally attacked, and that's where I have a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's my fault, right? I understand that, mm-hmm. and it comes from sort of a hubris, where it's just like, oh, you're playing it wrong mm-hmm. uh, or whatever. But, I mean, I make mistakes just like everybody else. And so I I often take criticism as a personal attack, which mm-hmm. I really shouldn't, mm-hmm. right? Especially because the project is done or near done. And at this point, there is no changing or maybe there is, you know. Maybe I just delay my deadline and I, I do a pretty big mid-course correction or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more of a they found my work inadequate and I Mm -hmm. so very closely tether my work with my identity Mm. that I was inadequate. And I know that's not what people are saying. Maybe they are. Maybe they're jerks. I don't know. But but so that's something as a professional, I have a hard – I work on it, right? I I, – you know, I went uh, to a training recently. Uh, we booked a professional, um, uh, what do you want to call him? Someone who teaches you how to be a better presenter, mm-hmm. right? Now, I, I personally believe I'm a fantastic presenter. <laughs> and, I, you know, that's a, with yeah. a bit of arrogance, yeah. but, I, but I, I do believe that. I believe I'm, I'm world class, and I'm just going to say that. Um, and, but I'm also interested in being better. I'm always interested in being better in an intellectual level. Mm-hmm. And so I go into this, and I'm talking with her, and I do a presentation and stuff like that. And for the most part, she was very complimentary. And, you know, I, you know, she said I do a lot of things feel very well. And she had a couple criticism points, and I argued with her a lot. <laughs> and a couple of them I still disagree with. But yeah. one of them I argued for a while, and then you know, just this past week in Shanghai, I, I tried it. And afterwards, I was like, that was a lot better. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, she was right. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I have a hard time not taking it personally. But once – because, you know, I'm a fairly passionate person. Mm-hmm. Once I walk away, I cool down and uh-huh. I think through it logically Then I'm like, oh, yeah, OK. okay. No, yeah. they were right. OK. Right. But I can't let them know they were right. So right. I'm just going to present it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's – yeah. You yeah. Being in a but a big part, part of accepting criticism, right, is you're going to want to react. Don't react. You know, finish the conversation. Walk away. Give it 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, give it an hour and really 
disassociate yourself from it and just be like, this isn't my work. This is someone else's work. How do I feel about right. this criticism? Right. And that's important because I'm really bad at that. Right. You, you bring up an interesting point about being uh, distance, distancing yourself. You'd be like, I am involved in this work, but I'm not committed to it. Like, it's not like it's my my blood and bone. It's uh, not me. It, yeah. It's just right. my job. Yeah. And the thing that I would, um, one approach is definitely to be like, to hear the person out and then not to react as you suggested. If you find yourself like, I have to react. It's not socially acceptable for me to not to react. Um, two things. One is a little bit of humor doesn't help. Like, don't be so serious about it. Um, but let them know like, Oh, okay. You made me feel this. Um, yeah, I felt like, you know, for example, I feel like your critic critiquing me, uh, but it would be more useful is if you could help critique the work. What is actually wrong about the work? Not well, I mean, usually they me. are critiquing the work, mm-hmm. and, but I, you know, I see it as them but, critiquing me. Oh, you'd the be best surprised thing you how do many people say, say, why no. do you do this? Meaning the mistake obviously is that the sure. work is incorrect. And that's but a, they lot, said, a lot of phrasing but, and stuff. Yeah, and it's, so it's interesting. So you have to be able to say, Let, let's back this up. I'm hearing you talking about me and I granted, I must've made a mistake, but I'm less interested in about my mistakes and more about what are the positive steps I can take to move the work forward. Um, and that takes practice to be able to say to someone with the appropriate level of like, Hey, um, I feel like you're talking about me. But I'm not. And it's different I'm not that getting if it's in a your superior face about that. versus yeah. a peer. Right. Especially right? with a and peer, because the peers are the ones that get you mad. If it's your superior, you just kind of bite down. You're like, you, you're just so out of touch. You don't get it. But you just kind of, but you're the boss, so I'll do it. If a peer comes up to you and they're like, no, you idiot, you do this, then that's when I find personally it gets a little bit more uh, complicated. Exactly. Yeah. And the best you can really do is be like, all right, well, let me think about that and yeah. just, you know, <laughs> walk yeah. away and, and, and truly think about it. Yeah. Um, Say, accepting yeah. criticism is not easy yeah. from anyone, or it doesn't matter who you are, right? Um, I'm I'm exceptionally bad at it, but uh, but still, yeah, it's about managing the emotions, right? You got to be Jedi, not Sith, uh-huh. on that, right? <laughs> you got to really think about it uh, logically with a clear head, because if someone's throwing it out, yeah, they could just be tossing out a bullshit opinion, maybe, but maybe they're right, or even if they're wrong. The fact that they said something might hide, or might might help you find some grain of truth that's buried. That's that even though they're wrong, you might have also been wrong, and that helps you find right, the right, right, right. right? That uh, is the best solution, even even of, amongst the three yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, but, uh, I, but my summary on this topic would be: um, the way to be able to receive criticism is to, one to be prepared for it, to structure time for input into your schedule with the appropriate people. And if someone butts into that and they're trying to offer input outside of that cycle to acknowledge that's why you're reacting a certain way. And so it's not about them really. It's just about like, oh, my process is being interrupted. And that's uh, that's not about me getting emotional because the process doesn't react to my emotions. It's just, okay, uh, I'm at a point where this level of input was not useful for me. That's okay. I can ignore it. Or this is an interesting point of view. I will clarify it with someone and then digest it and make the right decision if it's up to me or get them to make the right decision if it's up to them. Right. Um, and you can't beat yeah. yourself up, right? Yeah, right. Sometimes you made a mistake and they were right. Sometimes they weren't right, and yeah. they were just blowing right. smoke or whatever. Right. But right. Uh, but yeah, it's and not the, personal. Right. And the other thing I do often is there's that that uh, video of people zooming out from like a picnic all the way up into like galaxies upon galaxies. Like if you really look at like oh I'm so hot on this issue right now, but if you like 
like you were saying before, like kind of step out of yourself and you just kind of zoom out and zoom out and zoom out. You're like, really? This problem, this reaction I'm having is so insignificant compared to everything else that's going on. And in fact, mm-hmm. I'm lucky to be part of something larger than myself, this project that requires the input of so many people and so many different opinions and that I'm in a place where disagreements are going to happen and I'm lucky to be in that position. Take it from me, someone who's been working alone, um, if at all, if he's not being distracted and not working, like it's like I long for those difficult conversations, you know, and so it's a good thing. It means you're vital. You're part of a process that is producing work. And it's just a question of what's the vision. And we're not in complete agreement, but we could eventually get there. And I'm so grateful to be in a position to uh, be part of making that vision real. So don't look at the criticism as a negative aspect of being creative. Sure. All right. Go eat a popsicle and cool down. Yeah. Drink some, <laughs> drink some tea. You'll feel better. Have a cider. Uh, I don't feel better after drinking tea. <laughs> <laughs> Though it seemed like in Shanghai, that was like an unheard of concept. Just saying <laughs> right. like, no, I don't want any tea. Yeah. Well, how about this tea? No, yeah. I, it's not the type of, I don't uh, like yeah. tea. Yeah. Oh, well, then you want this tea. No, no, yeah. I still don't. No, I certainly do not want tea. <laughs> well, uh, that uh, I think is going to do it for time. There, there are a few more questions here that we didn't get to, but uh, that can be fodder for next time, especially Sounds if we... Good. If we flop on the peripheral <laughs> topic again, or I don't know, maybe we'll play a game and come back and talk about okay. that game or whatever. The Pirates one was fun. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, you know, there is a game you should try, Mike. I think you'd really okay. dig. Um, Which one? Because it's kind of, uh, kind of like, uh, like a mixture of uh, – have you ever played a 4X-style game? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I know what you're talking about, the, the explore – Something, Expand, something, yeah, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like Civ um, is like the classic example, or Alpha Centauri back in the day. So I started playing uh, Endless Space 2. Okay. Um, and I, I was playing it and immediately thought, hey, this is something that Mike would probably okay. dig. All right, um, I just it's, it. uh it's in uh, it's it's in that like alpha stage that you can play, but okay. it, it's it's a pretty solid, complete game at this point, you know. Um, but yeah, I was playing this and I'm like kind of getting a pirates feel, kind of getting uh-huh. a Starcraft feel, and I'm like, I bet Mike would dig this. Is it mobile or so, Steam? What's the? It's the uh, PC, okay. Mac, Steam. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not expensive. It. It's pretty good. Uh, it's, it's one I've been playing uh, for in, from my hotel room and stuff like okay. that uh, in some downtime. I don't know much about Force games, so I'm just getting hammered by the enemies because <laughs> uh, I just don't have yeah. any idea what I'm doing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty slick. Cool. I don't know what made me bring that up, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, there you go. <laughs> we, oh, about playing pirates yeah. uh, made me think of that. But uh, alrighty, um, cool. Well, hopefully we don't take two months to do the next one. I'll uh, uh, get get back to a regular yeah. schedule. Spring is always just really really hectic. I'm sure for everyone, but uh, yeah. All right then. Anything was, else to add before no, we wrap up? It was great up? to catch up with you, and hopefully people will hang in there and have waited for our podcast and are enjoying it. And we'll send in more questions. I really thought these were really good questions, and it was um, um, good to talk about them. I'd like to hear what if anybody ever tries some of the things that we said, or they have a reaction to something that we said. I'd love to hear that um, as well. Only if it worked. Don't tell us if it didn't. But, uh, <laughs> Actually, probably more important that we hear how it didn't work. 
Oh, for uh, what reasons? Yeah. That way we can defend yeah. ourselves and say, you're wrong, right? That's right. We can vehemently uh, react violently to the, to the criticism. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, you know, and real quick, too, before we end, just to, to say it again, because uh, a lot of people don't know about it. Uh, it's a new website, Mike'sVideoGamePodcast.com, uh, and on Twitter, Mike's VGP, Mike's Video Game Podcast, uh, at Mike's VGP. Um, so that's where we post like new episodes and stuff like that. Um, we have two followers on that Twitter right now, me and, <laughs> and someone else. Actually, two. So one's me and one's someone else. I don't know who. But uh, but yeah, so uh, for those who like watch like my Twitter for announcements about that, I've stopped doing that so much on my Twitter and started doing it on that one. So uh, definitely check it out there. And uh, yeah, otherwise that uh, just got to wrap up Mike's Video Game Podcast, episode 21. Great. Um, the all the what the the listener question review. <laughs> That's right. All right, uh, and uh, so yeah, Mike's uh, video game podcast episode twenty one. Uh, I'm Mike Gag. I'm Mike Wu. And uh, hopefully, we'll see you next month. Yeah, or hear you, or be heard <laughs> by you next month. Yeah. Take all care, right. everyone. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>